Hi, I'm 2021 Why Not Cam Awards winner Chelsea Poe. I'm here to tell you about my cam studio, Treasure Cams. Treasure Cams is a performer-led webcam studio owned by queer porn star Bella Vendetta. We welcome all 21-plus models who want to earn a paycheck from home as cam performers. We're open to all body types, genders, persuasions, and presentations. You get access to our performer-only forums, monthly team meetings, as well as help with promotion and marketing. For customers, check out treasurecams.com to see all of our models, schedules, and photos. Treasurecams.com. Welcome to the Performers Pod. Today's a little bit different. I'm here with Courtney Trouble. So both my partner and my best friend, Courtney, um, convinced me to be the guest on the Performers Pod. And I feel like when your best friend and partner are telling you something, you should probably listen to them. So yeah, we're new with that special for 420. I have a hard I have a hard time imagining I convinced you to let me be <laughs> to be the host of your podcast. No, it was hard for me to be like, okay, I can be the guest. <laughs> I that's the thing I'm working in therapy, taking up more space. So, you know, probably a good practice in that. <laughs> you created um such a good podcast. So I can I can see how after however many episodes um, actually having like the tables turned on you could be totally nerve wracking. So oh, I'm totally, I'm totally good with it. I feel like I've heard <laughs> everyone's porn story. So now I'm not like, there's just so many stories how people got into porn. So I feel su- super good about it. I think that's the thing I learned the most about this podcast. Honestly, there's just a million stories how people get into porn and reasons for pe- why people do porn and their experiences in it. It's just so varied. I really think that um, your podcast was badly needed. And um, I mean, you haven't even been able, you haven't even really scratched the whole surface yet, but like, like the stories that you've collected so far have just been phenomenal. And the world, the world really needs to hear these things. Yeah, I feel like we just aren't usually given this platform to actually talk about or experiences and what it's actually like to be a performer right in like right. long-form conversation so I feel like and for then, so many people it's their first like real introduction to who these performers are who they're actually really big fans of right and like for what it's worth porn media tends to be um pretty I, I would say that porn media is usually like pretty flirtatious it's usually done from a pretty like porn porny point of view you know like what are your turn-ons and like you know like what scenes are you doing this week and like stuff like that so to like what I like about the performer cast is that you go a little bit deeper and you're getting to know people um and I think that it really adds to a lot of like what porn media really does with their with the usual interviews it's just just like what's your biggest fantasy <laughs> yeah I mean honestly I was listening to like a lot of sports media podcasts actually and there's one specifically called the women's sports podcast where it's a member of the U.S. national women's soccer team and she just interviews other women's athletes and actually just talks to them from another like athlete's perspective uh-huh. because 
it's a little bit of the same with the sports media. You're not actually getting to know the person. It's just like, oh, how did this game go? How about this? What are you going to do in the future with this? Where it's a little bit same with porn, where we're just like, oh, well, what did you do in this scene? Oh, what do you want to do in a future scene? And you don't really get a real conversation. Or, you know, the performers don't really, really get a chance to be celebrated. Like, yeah. there's so many performers I had on who I'm like, wow, you did all these really amazing things. And they're just like, oh, I never really got to think about it. Because when you're in it, you're not thinking, oh, I overcame this giant surgery to get nominated or to win this award. You know, we're mm-hmm. usually not given that narrative. So I think just providing that narrative is so important to me. I agree. Um, and so today we're here to celebrate you, um, which is very exciting for me. And I, you know, I want to be, I could never be you as a podcast host, but I am going to try to celebrate you um in the in the way that you celebrate other performers so i've prepared like a little introduction that's great (laughs) (laughs) you've really been there since the start i mean yeah when we met i was still literally living on a college campus and like in that complete Mm -hmm. world so you got to see kind of everything yep Okay, so here we are on 420-2022, the Performer Podcast. I am your host for today, <laughs> Courtney Trouble. Um, and our guest today is the iconic Chelsea Poe. <laughs> I've tried to narrow down what it is I adore about Chelsea, but it's just not easy. I know her very personally. She's no doubt one of the best friends I've ever had. She's my creative soulmate, right down to the way we pick a font for a film cover. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. (laughs) Why is it always so easy? It's so easy with you. I don't understand. (laughs) Um, We've been through all the highs and lows of porn life together, navigating an industry that puts up roadblocks at every turn, especially for people like Chelsea. You may know her as your favorite podcast host, supplying you with incredible interviews with porn stars you know and love, but this episode is all about her. Here's what you should know about Chelsea Poe. She started her award-winning iconic career as a cam girl who wanted to make submissive lesbian BDSM porn. For trans women, the opportunities for those roles were rare and mostly limited to indie and queer porn projects. Since she started making porn, all of the rules have begun to change. I will argue in part due to her dedication and passion for porn as a genre and the people who make it. When she entered the industry, it was still common to see derogatory terms for trans women littered everywhere. Trans porn was still transphobic and roles for kinky submissive lesbians were few and far between. Chelsea has slowly but surely carved out a niche for herself and in doing so has made porn a better place while she's been here. Here's a few of your accomplishments. This year, Chelsea was awarded Cam Performer of the Year at the Why Not Community Awards. Throughout the pandemic, she screened virtually at over a dozen film festivals. She's officially the first trans woman to be a God's Girl for the now defunct GodsGirl.com, a huge accomplishment in all points. Huge, (laughs) huge accomplishment in alt porn. In 2015, she was honored by the Trans 100 list for her activism. 
Before that, she started a petition on change.org that inspired multiple directors and websites to remove derogatory terms for trans women from their marketing. She's been nominated for a handful of AVN and XBiz awards for her performances and has won a few trophies as a filmmaker as well. Fucking mystic, anyone? She works as a professional submissive to this day, a camp performer, and a porn director. She's irreplaceable as a creative director and business consultant at Trouble Films. She's directed and produced over a dozen of her own films for our indie studio project, including Femme for Femme, Queer Porn Americana, and Fetish Fuck Dolls. Her vision as a director is clear to create sapphic queer content that respects femmes and centers trans women. Her work is inherently political, with one release, Fucking Against Fascism, being a love letter to the activists and Antifa energy in the queer porn scene. Chelsea creates passionate porn that caters to us and it's some of the most beautiful indie porn I've ever seen. She's exceptional on set because she knows what she wants, prepares for it, and has creative goals that she's setting out to achieve. She's an athlete and an artist. Yeah. Chelsea, I feel blessed yeah. to have been a witness to what you've accomplished. From the making of your first film, Fucking Mystic, to your everyday dedication to camming and porn, I don't know how you do it. I don't know where you find the energy. I'm personally so excited for your listeners to actually get to know more about you. Aww. So That's like the best hype up thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was so sweet. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's all so true. Oh. So how did this happen? You're just a you're just a good you're just a good old Midwestern girl. <laughs> Where are you from? How did this happen? How did you get into porn and not like uh, why aren't you like a counselor somewhere? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> um, Where are you from? Yeah. How did you get into porn? I'm from Holland, Michigan. It's um I lived between there and Grand Rapids, which is like 30 minutes away my entire life. And basically I like graduated during the recession. I didn't really have many opportunities being a trans woman to like get employed anywhere. So I kind of got into camming through there and even early camming, I just didn't really know what it could be. I was like not super stoked about it, but it was until discovering like stuff like Sasha Gray and Stoya and then later like the rest of queer porn probably a few months later like Crash Pad and Trouble Films that was like wow there's actually stuff I can do with this so so much of it early for me like going into camming is just like yeah just doing it because I really needed money and like the real survival aspect of sex work and then it wasn't until I saw Jizz at um, Grand Valley State in Allendale, Michigan, that I, I like got into this whole world. And then I got booked like, I think a week later after meeting Jizz and you were my scene partner with Dylan Ryan. And that's how our whole friendship started. That is just so crazy. That was my first shoot. And honestly, no, it was my second time in California. I went once to San Diego in like high school, but first time to the Bay for sure. And yeah, just like honestly not knowing anything going into, I was saying like off a of market and yeah, I just had no idea about anything here. I had no idea of what to even expect with San Francisco, to be honest. Like I didn't know what the, where the Bay was, what the Bay was. All I knew was like, oh, there's a few queer porn studios here and I can do a mainstream gig and 
Yeah, that was nine years ago last week, I think. Wow. Congratulations on nine whole years since Which your first trip. To so long. Bay. Yeah. I mean, how many trips I'm... to the Bay did you take before you moved here? Only two. <laughs> I feel like the pride, I came out here for pride and it was the year that gay marriage was passed for California. So it was like a very big celebration and all of that and people were partying and everything. And yeah, it was just such a great experience. We shot our first scene with um, Asia Pop, which was an amazing experience. And yeah, it was just such a great first shoot. And I shot some other stuff here, those mainstream stuff that was definitely way sketchier and being like, I don't know if I'm really down for all of this. And a lot of the stuff was faked and it just like didn't feel like a thing that was really fully behind. So I since the start of porn, I wanted to, obviously I knew queer porn was going to be my main genre, but I also didn't want to just be a queer porn performer. I wanted to also have some effect on mainstream porn and try to make it a better place. Because even from the start, I'm like, I feel like it would just be a waste just to stay in queer porn. Because I feel like the generation before me in porn, like the trans women who I was inspired by, because honestly, I didn't watch a lot of trans porn. Like, especially I didn't watch any mainstream trans porn. There's no reason why I would because it's not for trans women and it's not for lesbians it was so straight back then so like seeing what Toby was doing Toby Hillmeyer was just doing doing it ourselves and it was just okay we're just gonna do it on our own which I feel like at the time was so important to build that up but I was way more interested in like what Drew DeVoe was doing that was trying to make a alternative and actually be in lesbian porn and get nominated for like awards and do all that stuff and like have being an avian nominated lesbian seen as a trans woman you know so that was like the shit that was really inspiring to me so after i came back from pride and we did that whole scene and everything i also found out about nika noel's um trans romantic at the time it was all straight but like i lived with i think two other trans women at the time and one was straight or was more into men and was like, holy shit, this is amazing. Even though it was like very straight, it was like, oh, wow, there's actually starting to become like acceptance for, you know, like treating trans women like normal people in porn. It's hard to imagine that there wasn't even like a romantic like genre in trans yeah. up until like Nika Noel, like. That's, you couldn't even find a trans porn scene that was like romantic. That was even okay. That wasn't yeah. like, oh my god, you're trans. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, it was hard to find a porn scene where like it was just okay. Yeah, or not talked about. Yeah, exactly. Which and it's that's like, like even when introducing you, I'm all just like, you've become all of these things. And it's like, has nothing to do with like your gender, or, like your gender perception or like how you yeah. were born or raised or anything. Like you, your, in your interest in doing lesbian BDSM porn, period. Yeah, that's from is like very interesting. That's you definitely know? from Sasha Gray and Belladonna and um, Princess Donna at kink.com what they were doing at the time 
So when I came out here to do those shoots, I was hanging out with a bunch of kink.com people. I was hanging out with Jacqueline Woods and Coral Aorta Uh the whole time. I wish they were both still around in the porn world. I feel like people's kind of disappear. And then you're like, oh my God, I wish I could tell you what was going to happen in porn after that. Because like when I came out here, I was talking to Jacqueline Woods and she's like, yeah, kink won't book any trans women as subs. And this is what I've been working on. This is what Mandy Mitchell's been working on since kink came into the armory. And they're basically refusing everyone. So I like put in an application when I was out here. And I don't know if it's true. I really want to get her on the podcast to find out about how much this is true. Apparently, someone told me they're like, well, Miss Berlin decides who gets accepted into all of this. So like before I was just camming for like chatterbait and stuff and honestly just struggling to pay rent in Michigan. Like there were some months where it was difficult um, or rent was late or whatever, just because I wasn't making that much, just camming through whatever campsites at the time. So when I did get accepted into Kink Life, everything changed. It went from making like 50 bucks a day on cam to like 250. So it was like a very big jump where it was like, whoa, my rent at the time was only like a hundred bucks. So I could pay like three months of rent after like a day or two of camming. So I was able to save like, I think like $1,500 or something to move out to the Bay and pay my first few months rent. And I was really lucky to find kind of this like dream home situation in Oakland where I first lived that was a very nice like family style home where like I'd bring dates home and they'd be like oh do you live with your parents it was like no just an older um some older queers who I lived with I mean you were in that house often like you you felt it it totally felt like a grown-up house for sure yeah even I felt like a child in that house (laughs) yeah right I was probably pretty close to the homeowner's age. We're kind of from the same sort of queer scene. Yeah, they were See, a now, older We're getting now. very personal right now. We're yeah. talking about like who we know in Oakland. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I feel like that was so much about it, though, too, though, yeah. that I like moved into this place and was so stable. And at that time, I had really stable rent. So... When I was like going into this, I was obviously camping remotely, but then it was literally like I came out here to move out here. I only went to Oakland once to shoot in a hotel room. Like I've never went to Oakland before that. It was just like, well, I guess that's where queer porn people are. So I'm going to move there. Um, And basically everyone lived right around like within three blocks. Um, It's come up on this podcast a lot. Like Susie Q lived right there. Like everyone lived within like a 10 block radius at the time and everyone was making queer porn. I remember that was, I was riding my bike over there. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. I would walk <laughs> over to yep. where trouble films was doing shoots and it was just so, mm-hmm. and you would be passing by like, Oh, that's where Nikki Silver is shooting today. Oh, that's where Susie's shooting. Like it was just really, everyone was right there and everyone was going to all the same parties and everything. So I had a bunch of shoots my first weekend there because I originally bought the ticket not knowing I was going to move. That's how kind of sudden it was because I was like, oh, I have some shoots booked for December. I still had the return flight. I'm like, if shit's really bad here, I can always just fly back because I didn't. I found where I was living off of Facebook, 
off of like some queer Facebook groups. So I was very a little apprehensive about that. But so I had all these shoots. I think I had in the first four days of living there, I think I had three shoots. So it was very like all in a row. And then the next Monday, I had my first day at the armory, which was very intimidating because you're like literally walking into a porn castle and you're like, oh, I'm here to cam. And weren't you, you were like one of one of three women brought yeah, in. Yeah, one of three trans women. Yeah. So will you talk was... about like that experience of like being ch- chosen or cast and you because you mentioned like it, you know, like there is a casting process, but like you had a very interesting thing at kink.com. Yeah. So at the time, I don't I don't think they accepted all cam models. So they were very much chosen. And the way and they paid hourly, like they paid hourly. Oh, no, not when I worked there. Not when I worked there. No, they got rid of that, which sucked. Kind of, though. So you could like hear into other girls' rooms. So someone could be making bank and you could be having the slowest cam day, which was so depressing. Oh, God. Oh, that's, yeah. (laughs) That's hard. That would have an effect on me for sure. Oh, it definitely does. It um, definitely what was does. it like, like camming, like with everyone, like that? Um, so it was really like, I would compare it like getting it like recruited by like a college, like for like a sports program or something, because it was there were like three of every type of performer. So like when I started, there was like they would hire three blonde girls, three brunette girls. Um, and like three trans women. So it was very much like you could kind of see what they were trying to do with all of that. So for me, it was definitely like this kind of weird thing, but you were meeting people who everyone started porn about the same time where it's like, oh yeah, I've been porn for six months now, been in here for three months. I'm from this part of the country. Everyone's from somewhere else essentially. So we had people from like Texas. Um, One of the other trans girls I was with was from Philly. And then there was another trans girl who I think was local to here. And basically everyone just burnt out other than me essentially where, um, one of the performers actually got attacked on Muni on the way to BART, and it was actually ruled a hate crime, I believe, and just really horrific. Um, got assaulted on Muni on the way to work. And the other girl, um, I can't remember her porn name, but she was from Philly. She's out here for three months and was basically like, I can't afford rent here. I'm eventually going to burn out and just was like, okay, I'm just going to go back home it's not really the thing. So there's just such a level of burnout there. And you just really see who's going to stick around the industry. And now there's some of the performers who I started working with who, you know, have gone on to an AVNs and so many of us have been nominated for all this stuff. So I can see how that set us up for this in a lot of good ways, because ultimately there you're just in a cam room. (laughs) If you have a client, you're going to have to make it happen on your own. And I think for me, it really made me have to focus on my own sexuality and really tap into what I can do and how to get into that headspace. Uh-huh. So I think that time at kink was very good, but also I think when you're in a system like that, and for me, like I started working there and then they're like, oh, Chelsea, you're a dom, right? And I'm like, no, 
I was very clearly not. So in another level, it's just like, why are you having me in here when you had all these assumptions of me just because I'm a trans woman? So I like, right? No. So I hit that burnout. But like, right when I started figuring out what all that stuff was, is when we started making fucking mystic. And when we went to New York to shoot with Bailey J. So I felt like I had other stuff going on other than just doing the kink thing. But I also feel like there were a lot of people who that becomes your life because they're running their company at the time they were running their company, like a Silicon Valley kind of model where we have a personal chef for you. So you don't have to leave. We have a gym here. We have parties every night. Oh, we have a bar across the street that you can drink for half off. Oh, you can sleep here if you want just kind of endless to try to keep you in the building and keep you working. And in a lot of ways it was really great, but I think it's the same thing with the Silicon Valley companies where you have to have some sort of work-life balance. And I think it's very hard to do that when your work is trying to give you everything and trying to motivate you to stay there. I've never heard anybody make that connection, but I, I think that's why I like your podcast so much is because, and I've been wanting to talk to you about it for so long, um, is because after you've heard so many stories from other performers, now as you're speaking, you're actually like sort of digesting some of this information and presenting it in a really new way. Because thinking about the Armory as sort of like they, I mean, I lived across the street from Pixar. That's where we were making. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah, where we used to be making. All, now that I don't live there anymore, I could talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, that we were basically making trouble film stuff right across the street from Pixar. Um, and like thinking about that whole campus mentality of like the people who worked at, you never saw, you like never saw Pixar employees in the neighborhood ever. They just mm-hmm. went in and out in their like little cars and like it took up most of the neighborhood, right? Like, yeah. Okay. Well, that's kind of what the armory was like too. Sure. It's a private space. It's gigantic. It's and like this, people, this historic building. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not safe to take Bart. Like as you said, like one of the performers, like was hate crimed on the yeah. on the bus. Yeah. It's so what do pe- people take their private drivers or Uber to to the castle to the armory and they get inside and they're like protected and safe and fed and like housed and and all that stuff sometimes i mean with my experience i was unpaid (laughs) unfed given a lot of alcohol and i got my ass beat in a way that i don't really feel was like fun or sexy yeah i mean i feel like when you're combining this whole like silicon valley culture and bdsm you yeah. can't, you can't I, I feel like you that, can't fuck do it that. up with like, what do they say? Like break it mental, like the, it's okay to break things mentality doesn't really work for porn. No, I mean, I think, I think it was a really important part of the scene here, especially during yeah. the queer porn era where it was like the other thing you could also do, or at right. least was bringing in some sort of money for at least some, some people. people. Yeah. yeah. So I think it was very important, but um, I feel like you really can't have that model overall. And I just feel like that's just too much power and um, centralization of porn that it's just like can get very, very messy. Right. Completely. And it definitely it did inspire you to like make other things. So, you know, yeah. it's clear to me like you were really inspired by like your 
introduction to the porn industry and camming and sex work um, to really like a filmmaker. Also, so much of the stuff at Kink by the time I was there was gone. Like they were kind of out of the whole thing of bringing in these big porn performers and really letting them dictate what they wanted to do. Like, I don't think Bobby Starr was working there anymore. Princess Donna was gone. So for me, like all this stuff that drew me in about the company was gone. So I was kind of like, okay, who are these people? I don't really care about them in a way, you know? You know, Princess Donna is an old friend of mine, not even through work, just like through the scene or whatever. I should just yeah. like find her for you. <laughs> oh, I know. I reached out to her recently be like, hey, you really inspired so much. She's awesome. I would say like, if you really want to understand like Bay Area queer porn, like you have to understand that everybody who was working for mainstream porn in the Bay was queer as fuck. So they yeah. would go to work at mainstream porn and then we would all party together at the end of the night like we were all in like these underground gangs together and stuff so like yeah if you really want to talk about like where did queer porn come from i would say it like came from like the lexington club and like late night like late night chats between like femme lesbian sex workers like princess donna and like me and like a bunch of other people who were around like we really wanted to see a dirty femme sex like outside of that because kink didn't do it right sort of i mean i, mean, I think some of belladonna's stuff there was like holy shit this is amazing. oh god i know she's iconic she's amazing yeah i just feel like <laughs> i i honestly like got the end of the queer porn partying era because i moved here in 2013 so mm-hmm. like everyone was still here but like I feel like it was maybe like the last few years of the whole partying era because I like, I mean, just hearing the stories about like 2010, 2011, like people are going so hard here and there was like way more drug use where I think I kind of caught the end of that where I didn't see that much stuff. Like, yeah, I feel like it was definitely way more of a party before. Yeah. Yeah. Although I have to say I wasn't smoking that much weed until you showed up. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I didn't smoke weed until I met here, honestly. Like I barely smoked Which is so it's weird. It's like we met and then we're like, um, let's just be stoners. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> I, um, Ramsey's Rodstein, that's how that happened. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly how that happened. <laughs> Where it was like we were hanging out with him a lot and then we're like, oh, Oh, great. Stoners. Yeah, I have to say, like, for me, it was definitely about quitting drinking and like mm-hmm. any other drugs I had done, like in my early 20s, like we just felt like a like a nice way to like harm reduce, I guess. But, you know, um, what you don't get stoned before a scene, though. How do you prepare for a scene? I'm going to switch um, gears just a little. Yeah, bit. I really I've the last few years I've been really about working out and I feel like that makes me feel physically prepared because I just don't like in the middle of a scene where I'm like oh my god I'm tired I just never want to have that happen ever again Uh so I've been focusing a lot on like cardio and doing all that stuff um like sexually I do um I have a butt plug-in for like a month usually something like that um and I do it like a few hours a day probably two to three and yeah sometimes there's like shorter turnaround like right now I haven't been preparing but I have about a week so I feel like if I prepare by doing 
about plug for a few hours a day. I feel like I can prepare for a week turnaround. So yeah, that's usually my main stuff. And then the rest is just running around the city, eating your haircut, manicure, brows, all the things kind of to get ready for a scene. And I feel like that's all just part of prep now. Um, as much as anything else, like mentally or um, physically. Mentally, I meditate usually like shortly before the scene, maybe like five minutes before we start and just take a few breaths and really just try to be fully in myself and just do all that. But um, yeah, I feel like it's just been so hard during the whole pandemic, just getting back into performance and just kind of being patient and realizing cancellations are going to happen and movies might take longer. Um, but also I just feel like it's so weird because I feel like I probably, I don't know if you agree with this. I think last year is my best year in porn. I was like, I was going to say when I was thinking about everything you've done, I was just like, you, you really rocked it during the pandemic in a way of just like, you just like focused. There was a lot of focus for you. And like, we learned how to stream live on trouble films and like mm -hmm. had some really interesting events and like, um, yeah, and you ended up performing like a lot more than you thought you would. Would you say yeah. like there was like, what's like your, okay, what do you think was like the best scene that you did during the pandemic? Probably our East Bay Brats thing. The, Which one? The force, yeah, foursome scene with Ruby, Jupiter, and Lita. Oh, the, the one we're the calling is like pumped, the pumping? Yeah. 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 I mean, that was honestly, I view everything in the pandemic leading to that point, honestly, like everything, all the waiting, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I think that's probably the best thing. But just like looking back at last year now, like the pandemic made me actually have like um, perspective on everything. And I feel like I have a work life balance for the, my first time. And I think a lot of that has to do with like going to therapy and stuff where like before I feel like instead of going to therapy and actually getting help, I just poured it all into my work, which it worked for a while. Like I made some really good movies, I think, but mentally I couldn't enjoy any of the success. Like, I don't know if you got this vibe off me, but everything I was doing before was like, okay, I have to do this because this is what I'm expected to do. Where I'm like, if I don't get nominated for this award, it's because I'm fucking up. I need to work harder all that stuff where even when this stuff happened, I couldn't enjoy it where it was always on to the next thing. Uh -huh. And I think this last, like since the pandemic, I've actually been able to enjoy things now and actually be like, especially this last year, like every real life performance last year, I got not, we got nominated for AVN. We were nominated for best series. So that's three films for East Bay Brads fucking against fat. Um, no fetish. Fuck dolls was nominated for best BDSM. And then the stuff with why not happened winning that was crazy and having like full closure on that whole saga. Um, the shit with Lily Cade finally ended and yeah, the from Holland with love getting nominated, like just looking at all that shit. That's like, it's hard for me to almost figure out that's like during this pandemic, you probably had your best year. It's hard for me to kind of grasp that in a way because uh -huh. I feel like my whole thing before was always like, you just need to go more. 
if I got anything like an AVN nomination, it was like, okay, that's what I was expected to do. So now I can actually enjoy stuff because I feel like I have that work-life balance. I don't know if you've seen the difference from me. Well, I was going to just, I mean, obviously like not going to like divulge all of like our like personal shit on the middle of, in the middle. Yeah. Of the I'm, I'm like going high therapy <laughs> shit right now. I'm like. I'm all like all the times that we've been like sobbed into each other's soft bodies about like this, that, or the other yeah. porn drama. Um, but yeah, I can say that like. And like, you know, I think I, I don't need to ask you why, because I heard from what you were saying, it was just like really like tapping into your mental health and your emotional well-being and like having a moment to really consider how therapy and meditation play a part in like your well-being as a porn performer and as a sex worker, you know, I think that that's really profound information that I hope anybody listening to this who is a performer um, can take home with them because that's like, mm -hmm. to me, it's just really important to take that time. And yes, uh, like, I mean, I think I, I see this with performers all the time. You know, I've, I've been doing this for 20 years or more mm -hmm. now and like, what I'll see is like people will like have that scene or that moment where they realize like, oh, it's more than just a few shoots. Like this is my career. Yeah. Um, and then once you adopt that mentality, everything starts to feel way more important than it used to. So things like award shows, nominations, mm -hmm. um, like getting the attention of like a, tr like a magazine or something like these were, you know, before I ever got nominated for an ABN, I never even thought about it. Yeah, my goal was to get nominated for one in my whole career. So when I never even thought about it. Yeah. Like, I just did it. I never, like, I think I, I personally maybe entered porn without even thinking about, like, the fame aspect of anything. Like, mm -hmm. I just kind of wanted to make a website, right? Like, I just wanted to do it. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I've seen this pattern where people are like, oh, like, you know, the things I'm doing aren't getting noticed and they're a big deal and I'm getting uh, acknowledged. Um, you know, what's next for me? I, ha I And then all of a sudden I have to starts yeah. to appear in your mind you're like oh i have to do this i have to do that for me it was like oh you know like i have to like you know do a boy girl scene or like i you know like i have mm -hmm. to get like the attention of like the bbw like fandom or whatever even though that just it just goes against what i'm doing yeah and it it's also not what i set out to do i didn't set out to win I like, I just set yeah. out to, to make art and to survive. So yes, I think like I've seen, I've seen a progression in you, um, f you know, like from that close perspective of like, we've, we've been together in moments where like one of us like didn't win the category or like <laughs> we like ran out of money on tour and it's just yeah. like, one of us spirals we've both done it and it's just yeah, like what do we sure. do in that moment except just try and breathe and like you know have like have that like meditation moment where you go you can like bring yourself back down to earth because yeah. porn if anything has a way of like feeding your ego in certain ways mm -hmm. 
And especially once people start to get to notice you, that ego starts to give you little expectations and, and things. Yeah. Like, but I'm proud of everything you've done. You know, like you've, you know, you've worked for Nika Noel. You've worked for yeah. like all these mainstream companies, you know, like, um, you know, like you've been to some wild places. Yeah. It's like you've been in a, <laughs> in you've made porn in a house that became the center of like a like a yeah. law entanglement in yeah, like Martha's and... Vineyard. Like, did you ever think you'd end up in Martha's Vineyard of all places making porn? Honestly, my or goal... Nantucket. Where were you? Yeah, it was Martha's Vineyard. Honestly, the amount of porn I made in New England, I never in my life. Like being from where I'm from, I never thought I was gonna like my our goals were like maybe someday I can screen something in Chicago, which we're screening in Chicago on Saturday. So guess that's happening. <laughs> but like that was where I thought like the limit was. So like when I came out here and started doing all this, when Nika Noel reached out to me, my immediate reaction was like, Oh, I'll be on like a one DVD thing where I'm like one out of eight trans girls and I'll be like low billing that's terrific but then I show up and they're like no you're the star of the movie you're in three scenes <laughs> so I was like okay and like I felt fairly overwhelmed when I found that out but I'm like okay um but that movie was just so great and working with Magdalene it was such a great experience and just that Nika like actually got like I think they're the best for writing for me and just actually know like where I'm coming from and stuff in the porn I wanted to do like I think I also expanded what I wanted to do because it was obviously mainstream more wholesome but like I kind of like the dichotomy between doing that and like really extreme explicit BDSM it was all very like within my wheelhouse and like what I felt comfortable with where like the whole TS porn world I think I got put there because they were like, you're a trans woman and you're conventionally pretty. So we can make money off of you. And even like with all this shit, when Groovy was all mad at me, they're like, well, you're a very talented performer. So you're probably going to be successful and you're really pretty. And it's just like very strange to He's get like, that. We hate you, but you're good. Yeah. Right. Like even during all of that. And it was just like so bizarre for me because I'm just like, come on, dude. Just when I came in here, though, like, I don't know. I didn't expect to be viewed that way. That everyone was like, oh, you're going to be a thing. And you're there's all these expectations kind of people had in me. I feel like that I didn't come out here having. So I think it just made it very different. And I feel like Nika really gave me a place that I could do mainstream porn that I felt comfortable with. And I feel like her style of... um like ethical porn or whatever you want to call it like I feel like that's what transsexual has continued with Ricky and I feel like that's what transfix did and every company that's kind of making money and winning awards off of that I feel like is kind of copying Nika's style at least in a way or in um transsexual's cases still using their writing so it's like yeah I feel like I was very lucky to be part of that whole thing that kind of became 
what mainstream porn is now where it's you know this kind of like sensual stuff is now what mainstream porn is so I feel like it's really lucky to be a part of that but I never felt comfortable in the regular trans porn world because none of my influences were there I never wanted to be a TS porn star like but did you ever you tried it out though right didn't don't you um yeah, they were giving me opportunities, but like, I didn't know what to do with it because I'm just like, this isn't my porn world. Like even within it, I was, I was performing like femmes I saw in queer porn. So like, I was basically just doing like a cheap Susie Q imitation <laughs> <laughs> and like talking like that. And it's like, that doesn't work in mainstream trans porn. <laughs> Would you say that that's like your, like your weirdest industry experience was like working for mainstream TS? Yeah. Yeah. Because I didn't even know of that world. So they would try to reference girls at me and I'm like, I don't know who that is. And then they explain her to me. I'm like, well, she's straight. So why would I want anything to do with that? Or even if they were gay, it was like very much like, oh, I just top cis women and that's it. And I'm like, that's not really relatable to me. So, yeah. so like, yeah, my whole world was definitely always more the whole like Stoya, even Sin Sage, like that whole realm where that's how I viewed all my opportunities where I'm like, what were the sites that these girls were shooting for? Mastoya, obviously her first site was God's Girls. And then, you know, like with Sin Sage, it's like, oh yeah, they worked with Nika too. And it's like the same type of films where all the trans porn films I'm in look exactly like the straight porn films from Mile High or the gay porn films. They all look the same, you know, because they were all being shot by the same cast and same directors and stuff, you know, like I feel like I've gotten to perform with, you know, the best directors and like the best um, like talent where I don't feel like there's anything in my career where I'm like, this what if of oh what if I got to work with like this person or this person what would happen like I feel like I kind of got my whole ride and I feel really good about it like I think particularly having like the whole come up when I was you know really young like 24 when I got to be like oh wow I'm nominated for all this stuff and then almost have the second thing happen this last year in 2021 where it was just the most eventful year and getting awards and getting nominated for stuff and yeah I feel like it's really just truly lucky to have these like two kind of peaks I feel like yeah and you know I don't I really don't think that it's over for you at all I think that in a lot of ways it's just begun you know like every every accomplishment is always sort of you know, the opening of a new chapter. That's sort of how I have found porn to be is, you know, I told you I didn't think I'd ever get noticed by AVN, but then I was like immediately after I made a film. So I was like, oh, I didn't even, I didn't even know that that was a goal that I wanted to have. So, you know, like, what do you, you know, like, where do you go from there? Um, So I guess that's, I'm curious, like you said, like, Oh, you know, you did like Stoya work for God's Girls. You got to go for God's Girls. You know, one of the reasons why you had like a frustrating time with Lily Cade and other people like her is because, you know, 
you saw people like Sensage or or Stoya or Ella Darling or someone like working for Philly Films. And you're like, I want to work for Philly Films. I'm a lesbian. Um, and like having those gate, gatekeeping moments sort of be, you know, these these decision-making moments for you. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, from, you know, from my point of view, that's what like the Lily Kate thing is. That's kind of like where it is birthed from is like, like Drew DeVoe, you know, your interest in making lesbian porn was very sincere um, mm -hmm. and genuine. And, you know, coming, you know, coming from your own personal lesbianism and your queerness. Um, so with all that being said, like, I mean, like, so porn studios kind of get birthed every day. Like, is there like someone or something now, like some studio, you did say you're like, I feel pretty good about where I'm at, but like, is there like any new like projects or genres or things that are happening in the porn industry right now that you're like looking at, like, Ooh, that looks like fun. I want to try that. I just want to shoot for more BDSM companies. That's it. But it's also like we're in the middle of a pandemic right now. Like we literally have a shoot next week and we're like, we, ha we can't book it until like last minute because who knows what's going to happen. So I feel like there's I guess so negative much today. We'll see. Yeah. Right. Like it's just so hard to know right now. Like, kind of even if it's like oh there's a company on the east coast i'm hoping to work with if they hit me up tomorrow and they're like do you want to get on a plane i don't know so i feel like so much is up in the air right now um i think like just where the studio model is though like when i got into this industry if you want to shoot lesbian porn you had to have a studio book you now you can do whatever you want on your own, basically, and have as good of content. I mean, the last time we went into the dungeon, I shot on my iPhone, and that was as good as our actual camera. Yes, it's very so, true. So it's just like <laughs> there's not these gatekeepers anymore being like, oh, this is the porn you have to shoot, and this is the porn you can't shoot. And if we decide you don't have a career, you don't have a career. So I think it's just changed so much. And... Also, like when I was shooting all this mainstream porn, our porn that we were shooting on our own was getting as much like award attention and as much screening as attention as the mainstream porn I was doing. Like I was in New England shooting um, one of these movies with Nika and it was really, really hard. And we thought we had like a great movie and I don't think it ended up getting nominated for anything. But the emails I was answering during was for the first um, Fetish Fuck Dolls during the whole time. And that movie got nominated for all this stuff. So it's just like, you never really know what you're working on and what it what's gonna get nominated and what's gonna, you know, do well. Also like XOXOX, I think that's the best edited movie I ever did. Love the music on it. And it's like, it just never did what it should have like i'm glad it got into berlin and it did that but you know you have some movies that you're like oh that's just whatever and it's still touring and it's still going around the world now so you truly never have any idea i would say that xoxox is a film festival piece that's really kind of ephemeral like in the sense that like you can't really pin down what it's about yeah you know um it's vaguely about like Vegas maybe, or like hug hugging and kissing. I don't know, but 
I, I think I it's about the music. The music's in, so in good. In my career, like movies like Lesbian Curves have always traditionally sold better than a movie like Roulette because you know what's in it. That is true. <laughs> so I feel like that explains why XOXOX is like this beautiful, it's this beautiful film that, um, that we made together and like editing, it was really fun. We did all these overlays and experimental things. And it took so long too. the noise, the noise music background soundtrack is just so killer. Like, Oh no, um, that's the KT spit one. That's the yeah. I mean, it's like everything. That. It's like, yeah, it's just, it's a beautiful piece. But I mean, some things are just, I mean, do you know, here's a question, like, do you know when you're like making like a piece for like art or like a piece for like your, like your rent? Do you Um, feel like there's a divide for you? Like, are you, do you make content or are you always making art? I feel like it's just like, I just have different aesthetics, like BDSM porn. I mean, I always had shots super straightforward. Honestly, what we're screening in Chicago is honestly a mix of both our styles of BDSM porn and art porn in one. So I think it's just like, particularly going to festivals like Berlin, like, you know, I feel like you learn what's going to be like inside the theater and what the feel is going to be and that you have to edit it in the right way. So it's, you know, what you're comfortable with there. And like, you have to have the audio down and just like that whole experience is so different than just someone watching it on their laptop to masturbate. Yeah, I will say that's how I know if something is gonna go in a film festival or not is like, if I put my headphones on and it's and it sounds good, then I'm like, okay, I'm okay with this going to a theater because <laughs> because like with DIY porn and like the, the weird kinky art stuff we make, you just never know. <laughs> Truly. And for like having that experience is like when you're a band and you're like playing a big festival because it's it's just a different audience and you kind of have to understand that and and our fans, way. our audience, our fans totally get it. Yeah. But sometimes when we show it to brand new people, they're like, I can't hear anything. I'm like, I know. (laughs) I just love like, yeah, those festivals in Europe are just so special. And I'm just so glad that that's part of our life. And honestly, like I was feeling so burnt out on porn before I went to my first Berlin. And then I went and yeah, that was one of the biggest moments in my life. Just seeing stuff like fucking against fascism and just like really experiencing what queer porn screenings could be and what they are in Berlin and across Europe I feel like it just really changed everything also I mean our first time going to Amsterdam like I felt so almost separated from anything with my own culture until we went there because I'm from a super conservative place in Holland Michigan so like my sex work and love of marijuana and all these other things felt so separated from who I am and my culture. And then we go there and it's all weed everywhere. It's everyone talking about like being anti-fascist and stuff and everyone loves porn and there's sex work everywhere. And like, even at the fancy hotel we went to, like there were sex workers walking back from a hotel room and the guy's just, yeah, it's Amsterdam. This is what it is. This is what the Netherlands is. And I'm just like, how can it be that the place that I'm actually from has all these things that are like 
my essence, essentially. Like, I've never felt more comfortable any place in the world before. Is being a sex worker, being gay, like, just all the things. And I feel like, yeah, you were there with me during that time. Yeah, I shot the orgy. (laughs) I mean, no, but even I remember you being really nervous before we got there. Like, that was one of the little spirally moments that we've had together was like, oh, my God, we're going to Amsterdam. We're in like, it's hard. It's hard to travel on a budget, right? So, like, we show up tired. We show up hungry. We show up and we realize there's, like, mice. My phone was (laughs) broken. Our phone. Someone's phone is broken. Someone else's. My debit card's not working. Like, and all of a sudden, like, we have to find a hotel room at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) It was like so much drama, but then like, Like, thank God we weren't alone. Like, that's all I think about is like, thank God it wasn't just me or just you alone in these situations. Yeah. Um, where like we didn't speak the language and like had to go find a place to sleep in the middle of the night. Like, um, and I wouldn't replace it for the world. I like nothing could take that trip away from me. That, that next day, that screening, that's my favorite art thing of my life. Um, We did that. And then it was like completely full of people and there were like people watching through the windows and at the porn. And we were able to donate, like, mostly all of the money. Yeah, we were able Um, to, we got our, like, guarantee, and then we donated the rest of the money to Trans Lifeline. It was just, like, the coolest thing. (laughs) And we got fed, and, like, yeah, we were taken care of, aside from the hotel room thing, but. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Um, Yeah, I would, I would say that Amsterdam is definitely probably, like, the most awesome experience ever that we yeah. that that I've had like in this career. Yeah, um, for sure. It, it just, just it almost didn't feel like work, but we like shot a whole film there, and yeah. like that's when you know it's good. It's just like through all of the work that you're actually doing, you're really working hard. But then when I look back at the trip, I'm like, yeah, we made a whole film, and. Uh, on this one and we did had our best screening ever on this one um and actually all i can really remember is like walking around the canals like smoking weed and like wondering (laughs) how many people like fell in the canals every year yeah and like going to fibu and like (laughs) yeah like the food and like just wandering around and the lights and like you almost you almost forget like how much work goes into some of the scenes because you also probably like trained for weeks to make sure that your body was ready for the two scenes or three scenes that you did do that week, you know? Um, And like you notoriously don't like solo scenes, but you committed to them, you know? I don't know where it, I don't know where where that solo scene is, but it's somewhere. (laughs) We have one of them. We have one of them. Yeah. But yeah, we did lose one, didn't we? No, I have it still. I just don't. I hate editing solo scenes of myself. <laughs> it's like double masturbation. <laughs> but yeah, I just feel like that trip, it just made me realize so much about, yeah, just myself and just all of that. And just honestly, like one of the most meaningful experiences in my life. Yeah, I feel so lucky to have had that. And 
yeah, just so crazy finding out that's literally the city that I'm from and then all the stuff around it being this like perfect experience. Because there's so many cities I've gone to where I'm like, it's fine. Like if I found out I was German and completely from Berlin, I would be like, oh, that's nice. Berlin's a nice city, but just all my experiences with Amsterdam and my comfort level there, just really crazy. It's like bringing a tear to my eye right now. (laughs) Because it really does feel like I felt alienated from my whole culture and my whole life, like from all that, because being in such a conservative place and then finding out that that's not really what it is and that's not really who you are. Just yeah, really- it's it's very interesting that Holland, Michigan doesn't have any of the open-mindedness that Amsterdam has. Holland yeah, has. Yeah, they're the ones who fled because they're like, it's getting too, too secular. So <laughs> like, oh, that's oh, literally so the story why. So <laughs> yes. Um, that's also why it's one of the most depressed places because everything's just repression and being like, don't take up space. Don't take up space. And you're like, I'm going to take up space. I'm going to take up space. I'm going to take up all of the space. Yeah. I think going there helped me. It's just being like, okay, this is actually where you're from. You're not a weirdo. Most people there, like talking to, um, Esperanza who's, um, from the Netherlands, they're like, oh yeah, I used to work at a coffee shop and then I decided, oh, I want to do sex work. I'm like, you're, you have the most possible Dutch story of like being like coffee shop to porn sex to porn pipeline. Feels very good. What other jobs do you think you could have? I would probably be doing something like of long, um, like venue management and probably setting up this same sort of things that I do now like instead of my screenings it'd be probably whatever band or whatever thing but honestly I have no clue where I'd be without sex work because I sure as hell wouldn't be living in San Francisco (laughs) as a concert promoter I don't think I would have any sort of budget to do that so I don't know I think I'm just very lucky to just where everything is right now and just excited about the future I think we have so many things that we're going to shoot in the next few years. Yeah, like what do you what do you want to do next? What do you what do you well what do you want to do next? I just want to do more of the same because I feel like I can actually enjoy it now. What's the next project that you what are you currently working on? Chelsea Summits too. We and what is one. it? Um Storage Slut. Storage Slut that's screening in Chicago on Saturday. It's going to be in Chelsea Smith's too. Yeah. Um, and then a scene we're shooting on Wednesday, hopefully COVID pending. Hopefully. And then some other sort of BDSM scene. And yeah, there's going to be another BDSM movie out. If you Maybe could travel. Okay. If you could travel anywhere in the United States to make something, where would it be right now? The United States. I would really like for us to do a Vegas trip. Yeah, I, I know that's probably gonna happen, but um, no, it'll happen. We'll go to Vegas. Yeah, I'm sure we will. Just, you know, <laughs> get COVID down. Yeah, I went to Vegas a few um, weeks ago just for a vacation, and, and yeah, it was very nice. But I'm also very happy to kind of get back to a porn trip again. We haven't done a porn trip in so long. Also, I really want us to do an East Bay Brad's Road trip that Ruby Rides talked about on here 
I think yes. we should all go down to the Pink Dungeon in LA and yes. get a hotel and do like a slumber party thing for yes. like a day. I really think that the East Bay Brats do LA. It would be like the best movie ever. <laughs> it would be so good for like the fifth one. And then... But at this point in my career, I'm just like, let's just make whatever is going to be fun for us to make. Like, yeah, let's make, let's do a road trip movie or a vacation movie or yeah. like... I clearly want to get out of the house so bad. My mind is in fantasy land right now. I'm like, let's go somewhere. <laughs> I can totally agree with that. So yeah, I think that's I think that's probably like the next thing of just doing a West Coast trip again. Probably us going somewhere and shooting something just because it's been yeah. so long, honestly. Like literally since AVN in 2020. So yeah, so I think that's kind of how I'm feeling about the future. Just hoping we can get back to some normalcy, but also realizing we have to be patient with COVID stuff happening anywhere and also realizing, oh, we might be stranded for two weeks somewhere. So it's all kind of part of it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. And I have some reflection questions for you. Okay. And especially like with you hosting this podcast, You've had a chance to talk to so many porn stars, um, some of which who have deeply influenced you. Like you just spoke with Stoya. Yeah, it's crazy. What? Your idol. I know. Tell me about it. I'm interviewing one of my idols right now. It's incredible. You, you can't compare <laughs> me to Stoya. Don't do that to me. Don't you do that to me. I, I, I realized I was already doing porn when you showed up in my life, but I... <laughs> I started something else entirely when I met you so that is true that is true (laughs) um and it has it just has everything to do with really like I just I don't think we were ever I don't think I ever said like oh trouble films is like a blatantly femme for femme place like until you you and I started making porn together and being like you know what like we could work to find more butch people but we could also just make like we could also make like queer porn with all of these femmes and like make it in a way that like from our point of view really is yeah. fun. So like there's just like certain things like that, like really just like making stuff that like vibes with like our identities and like, mm-hmm. yeah, I think our friendship has really inspired me as, as a filmmaker and a performer. Um, but like, you know, what, you, you know, people look up to you this the same now the same yeah. way that you look up to Stoya and Sasha Gray yes okay you're like the next generation of legendary porn icons then and people already look up to you yeah what advice do you have for them because you know this is one of your questions there's so much turnover in porn mm-hmm. um what do you think like how did you get to where you are with your staying power? What advice would you give to the people who look up to you and want to be like you? Self-produce. Produce with you and your friends and try to make it sustainable. Cut down the overhead as much as possible. And that's how you can keep a porn career because people are going to book you and then people aren't going to book you and you really can't wait for other studios. So I think just doing whatever you can on your own and just trying to work that up. I think that's the biggest thing, whether it's shooting your webcam shows, whether it's shooting on an iPhone, just truly whatever you can do. 
I think it's really, really important and kind of not wait for someone to give you a break to be like, oh, I'm going to be a porn star because of this. Like, also, as I was saying earlier, the stuff we were working on on our own was getting more critical acclaim than the mainstream work I was doing. So you just really never know. So I think just always work on your own stuff, 100%. And what... um what's the best advice some of your icons have given you like stoya i don't know if they ever really truly gave me any advice not directly Um, but have you learned anything from talking to so many porn stars on this on this platform on this podcast right here um what have you learned a lot i think i just learned more that everyone had there's just so many reasons why people get into porn and so many reasons why people are in it still and their intentions for it um i think interviewing stoya and talking to her that she doesn't really know who gave her the deal at digital playground who really discovered her and was like oh this is the girl I think there's just so much stuff in this industry that's like kind of by chance. Like, I don't know who hired me at King Clive. I think it was Miss Berlin. It might have not been though. You never know. Or like, what were the chances that we met, we were going to meet because I gave Crashpad 10 people I wanted to work with. What are the chances that that was going to be the thing? I think we probably would have linked up in some way, but I don't think it would have been like that. Like that was my first porn scene ever. Like... Well, I don't, I don't, here's else. one thing that the world probably doesn't know is that we were chatting on Gchat in the middle of the night, just yeah. like as friends for like a uh-huh. year before that thing even happened. Was it that long beforehand? Maybe not, but like, I just remember like my ex-husband would fall asleep and I'd still be chatting. <laughs> but like, yeah, I just feel like there's so many things just by chance in this industry. And like, what if I didn't have a short cam that I didn't see Jisley? Like, you know, like there's just so many of these little things, Uh I think in any entertainment industry and you just never really know kind of what's going to happen. So I think there's just so much by chance. And I think particularly talking to Stoya yesterday, it's where it wasn't yesterday, it was released, I think yesterday, but um, yeah, you just never really know. So I think it's just, you know, there's so much by chance and you just kind of have to trust it, but Yeah. There's just so many different stories why people get into porn. And that's, I think, what I learned just to kind of appreciate everything that has gone well and just also realize, you know, it wasn't always meant to be. These are all just kind of small chances and you never really know who took these chances on you. That's why I really want to interview Miss Berlin be like, were you the person who approved me for King Live? Because if they're not, I'm going to have so many questions. <laughs> Like, who on earth got me this job? Yeah, right? <laughs> That's a really fun and interesting thing that I've learned about porn since listening to your podcast is just the, it is very random. Yeah. It is so chaotic sometimes. And you just kind of have to remember that it's random. Yeah. And that like casting decisions get made randomly. It's not because they hate you. Yeah. It's just, just because something know. else happened. It's literally it. It's like something like a fly hit the wall and plans changed. Like it's just, it's so random. I guess I don't, I don't think I would change that about the porn industry because there's also so much, I love some of the spontaneity and 
chaos, especially of like award shows and everybody's shuffling around. You're like, wait, that person won? I have no idea who that is. Like, yeah. that's always the wild thing for me is like, oh, this woman is at the top of her game. And I'm like, who on earth is that? Yeah, that, the industry is so vast that like, yeah. always, like at AVN, you're always learning about new parts of porn or yeah. places that you didn't know people were yep. shooting stuff. And it's just... There is no one center of gravity in the industry. Like, there are a hundred centers of gravity. Yeah. And, like, you just really do have to keep that in mind, like, when you're entering the industry. Um, so you, I actually want to talk about this question because I've been on your podcast before. And this yes. question terrifies me. And I'm always like, why does she end the podcast with this question? So I'm going to ask you about the question, and then I'm going to, I'm also going to ask you the question. If okay. you could magically change one thing in porn, what would it be? Now, don't answer this question. I answer the question like every time, basically, because everyone else <laughs> has to kill time. So I'm like, I have it ready. <laughs> You're ready. Okay, yeah. but before you answer yours... Okay, you've literally asked every single person yeah. that's been on this podcast this question. So according to everyone on the podcast, what are the things that need to magically change in porn? Um, someone said there would never be consent violations on set. That's a very good one. Yeah. Ending, ending transphobia in porn, ending racism in porn, ending phobia in porn. Ending stigmatization against tattoos in porn. Um, yeah, I think those are like the main ones or some version thereof. Mm -hmm. So if you could magically change one thing in porn, what would it be? I would speed it up five years. I think in five years, there's going to be a few directors that are going to be left because they're really creative and doing positive things. I think those are going to be people like Brie Mills. I think it's going to be people like um, Ricky Greenwood think it's going to be stuff like um deeper um and other performer directors but i think most studios are going to be gone and i think that's gonna be good i think there are some issues with content trade that are obviously coming up now in vegas and i think that's kind of to be expected but i think overall just equity wise for the industry i think there's going to be more things like east bay brats and i think there's gonna be um i think the content trade is gonna be the default setting in the industry and i think that's gonna be better for it because as a performer, you're going to have way more control of your career. Also, I think eventually the whole agent model in LA is going to be get gotten rid of because I think most of these girls are going to realize they can make way more money just doing an OnlyFans or mini vids or whatever other thing that is going to be around at the time. So that's my hope. I just want this industry to be sped up like five years. Yeah, because right now we're all because the main problem with the sort of like people just self producing and all that stuff, it is great. And like, you know, I owe my livelihood to having my own membership site, like, you can't you can't replace that with studio success, you just can't. No. Um, <clears throat> I feel like studio success comes just, and goes too. It's just so messy right now. The platforms are so messy right now that, yeah, the best thing that we could do is just kind of like wait for this, wait for this part to be over. <laughs> yeah, I think. And like, you know, if it's going to be OnlyFans, great. Let's make OnlyFans better because like 
yeah, that future, that future looks like, you know, a decentralized internet with, yep. with like, you know, blockchain and digital downloads and like, you know, accountability threads between places like OnlyFans and the people who use them, because that's inevitably how content trade works. Yeah, I think. Distribution. I think what really needs to happen is, especially in like place like Vegas, I think they need to come up with a free testing thing because industry testing right now in Vegas seems like a effing mess. It seems like there's just too much content trade going on in some ways. People are shooting five sets and like are on five sets in like four days or three days. And it's just like without a real testing thing that's free and always accessible for everyone. I think you're just going to see the continuation of there being testing issues in Vegas. I think that's just kind of one of the growing pains of um, content trade right now. But it makes uh-huh. me really hopeful about the future of the industry. Just that, like, talking to um, Roxy Moth, like, she moved to Vegas and it's like, okay, you're here. You try to be a porn star now, basically. Do a bunch of content trade, build up your site. In a lot of ways, that's amazing. Because before that didn't happen, like you couldn't, you moved to California to do porn like I did. And it was like, well, I hope studios still cast me and I can get some gigs or I'm kind of fucked. Because if it wasn't for Trouble Films and even the other companies I was working for, like I wouldn't have had anything here. I would have just been camming. So I think it's so different. The, the world I've realized now, like, and if, you know, if anyone's curious really how Trouble Film started, I just woke up one day and gave what I was doing a name. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a studio in, in concept only. You know, really I'm a performer who's doing content trade. And then when I have money, I fund other performers, you know, like that's, that's what we do. You know, we save up money to hire people. Um, we crowdfund for our film projects if, if, you know, some of us, I don't think I've ever like crowdfunded, but I've oh, definitely no. done customs, which are, you know, I get paid yeah. ahead of time. That's kind of like crowdfunding. <laughs> yeah. I feel like also we're you like know? taking in performers content too. So we have people like Sensage, uh-huh, or, uh-huh. Um, what I'm doing uh-huh. or uh-huh. Lita. And I feel like it's really a thing for performers now where if you do have the ability to make your own films and are looking for a platform. I feel like that's what Trouble Films has really done where we've almost right. worked as a label during all of this. Or most so more so what I've tr- what I'm thinking is like I've tried, you know, it's not it's not big enough to just be like, oh, like, you know, if you want to do this, come on in. Although I want to say yes to everybody, right? Like, <laughs> and we have curated some amazing things that have had nothing to do with us. Um, you know, but if anybody is interested in this, team up, team up, find your creative soulmate. And like, yeah. it is hard to do all of this stuff alone. And like, you know, Trouble Films is a studio in name only. It just exists because we say it exists. And like, so like anybody out there can say like, hey, like this is my studio. This is my label. This is my record label. This is what I make. And like, mm-hmm. do you want to come collaborate with my 
I quote unquote brand, right? Like, do yeah. you want to come collaborate? And like, because it is, because porn is so caught up in like commercialism and capitalism and sex yeah, at work. Yeah, least North American porn. Yeah, you know, like to think about it more on an artistic level, like, yes, bands need to make money, artists need to make money, but at the end of the day, how they make money is by collaborating with other artists and other bands and like going on tour and like showing their work and creating connections. You don't ever need approval from another label. That's the yep. whole point. So like, yeah, that's always been my advice for everyone. And that's what I think like at the end of this podcast, at the end of this day, like looking back at your career, like, you know, obviously like consent that I'm not talking about consent or sex, but mm -hmm. for you, like, you know, hearing no from someone else has never stopped you yeah. from doing what you needed to do for yourself. Yeah. And while you've been in moments where you felt like the expectations were going to rule, like rule over you, the porn you make and the performances that you do, um, have always been self-directed. Yeah. Um, you've always been so clear about what you want to make and the kind <laughs> what you want to make yeah. <laughs> and the kind of porn star that you want to be, um, that like, it's your, you are a very clear role model for people coming to this industry, trying to figure out how to sustain themselves. Mm. You know? Yeah. I, I think that like you've really shown that it takes a lot of work. You cam you've never you've never stopped camming. No, you've definitely you've not. taken vacations, you've taken breaks, but you have been a cam worker for probably ten years. Yeah, ten years. It was ten years. I think like to the month of winning the why not cam award so yeah that was a really good full circle you're not thing. just sitting around waiting for someone to cast Definitely you not. in their next trans romantic movie yeah. you're not yeah. quite frankly if you had waited around for my next project or nika's next project or whatever nothing would have ever happened to you for sure. it's you who reached <laughs> out to me and said hey Fucky Mystic was great. Do you want to do another thing? Here's my idea. I don't even remember the... I don't know what we did next. I don't know what is it? I have no idea what... <laughs> I never remember that happening. I just remember us starting to shoot some missing mixtape too. Some missing mixtape. I was just like... Is oh, that what okay. it was? Yes. <laughs> like, I think there was some uh, conversation, but like I didn't really... Submissive mixtape is amazing. Amazing. <laughs> like... Being able to see queer BDSM from the submissive's point of view, like really like, like getting the chance to like worship the Dom and like really see what's happening. Yeah. Um, like you really, you really put your foot down in queer BDSM moment right there. Yeah. It's For just sure. all the porn I want to shoot at kink.com and they just were like, you can't <laughs> do that. So. But. Listen, not all porn stars are inspired by spite, but some of us are. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just wanted to shoot it. I don't care who was going to shoot it. And that's kind of how I felt with, like, all my stuff. Like, when the shit with um, Philly Films was so crazy and they're like, well, you need to talk to our CEO and we need to, like, 
trick him. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. And then uh-uh. the trench coat opportunity came up and that was like literally my dream to have my porn next to like Stoya's work and like all this porn that I was really stoked about. That wasn't just like, okay, yeah. this is just trans or this is you just didn't give up. lesbian. Yeah. You found another yeah. way. You found another way. And honestly, what could you know, like there's, there's no way like some like male owned company, like trying to make like lesbian porn for the male gaze, um, is, is going to be a better opportunity than trench coat. Yeah. For and sure. like what happened with trench coat is you made royalties off of your movie. Yeah. that was Like you didn't just horrific. get passed. They like took your whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I will say you were their trans lesbian content like they didn't have anything else knowing their rate Philly films. Yeah, it would have been the same for like doing three scenes for them. (laughs) And like, I didn't have to do anything. I just like sent them the files and then they Uh, put them up. So that was great. (laughs) But um, yeah, I think this is a pretty good spot to end it. I think. Yeah, I think that's kind of the overall arch of my career of just like, even if these companies don't want to do these things right now where they're like, oh, this is hard, you know, just do it yourself and believe in yourself, even if you don't feel like you can. And then ultimately, when you get your work-life balance in order, that's when stuff starts going right. Because last year, I feel like I had the best work-life balance. Like I had weekends for the first time in a very long time. And then it all kind of worked out. So, yeah, you're you're a model for how to overcome sex worker burnout and like to keep it professional. And I I do hope that people have taken um, all the wisdom that you've imparted just throughout this podcast and in this episode in particular. Um, and I'm just so glad we didn't devolve into total giggles, like. <laughs> happy 420 we made it yeah. through <laughs> where um can you tell everyone your link so they can follow you oh my gosh um yeah if you want you can just go to links.courtneytrouble.com and you'll get set up with my OnlyFans, my twitter and of course the various websites that i run um i am i am the wizard behind the curtain for chelseasubmits.com yes so I would love to promote ChelseaSubmits.com um, and this fine podcast where you can find all of the performances that we just talked about with Chelsea. You can find at ChelseaSubmits.com. Yes, and all of the other things that we haven't talked about, you can also find there. Um, if that's not enough, you can go to TroubleFilms.com where Chelsea and I have been curating queer porn and rad slutty BDSM and even some straight stuff. Um, yeah. All with an indie DIY slant, all made by sex workers because mm-hmm. we are both sex workers. And that's that's why we stand out. That's what makes us special. Um, so Chelsea... People can find you in the next episode of this podcast. Yeah, you can find me there. My Twitter is at ChelseaPoe666. And then my IG is at FakeChelseaPoe. Well, thank you for spending your 420 with me. And I think everyone else. As I do every year. <laughs> I know, right? This is the first time in a long time we have had a movie release this day. So. Um, I hope you'll have me back next year. Maybe we can. Yeah. 
We'll do a 420 special about stoner porn next year. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone.